I'm looking at your photos at the top of my screen, and when each, each of you talks, the picture kind of flickers. That's hmm. kind of cool. The Mac version doesn't do that. It's, it's like the border around the picture blinks when you're talking, so I can tell who's talking. That's cool. <laughs> <laughs> wow, we're missing out, because like, I think the, the three of us are all Mac guys, and the Mac version doesn't do that. It's just... You know what it does? I have to mouse over the pictures, and it doesn't stay, but the names light up when we're talking. Oh, I see, yeah. But it doesn't stay. Oh, yeah, I see it. I think, I think it's only happening when it feels the pulse of your voice or something, because mine blinks to the pulse of your voice. Hmm. But then you hit record and you're out the door anyway. Our whole relationship is a CD skipping away. Crush on the ray. You might hear my cats at some point. Mm-hmm. Oh, no, not cats. <laughs> I love cats. They're gods. What are you talking about? My point exactly. They are the only animal who it, who knows how to basically exploit humans. Oh, no, humans do that themselves pretty pretty well. Um, but now the cats are uh, uber beings. They're, uh, here they come. They know I'm talking about them. Hey, what's going on? Um, they, uh, they're in control, and you should be nice to them. Always am. <laughs> All right, so what are we talking about? Something geeky? Yeah. <laughs> All right, let's do it. Yeah, uh, usually we start by talking about our uh, the, uh, the the stuff we picked, the music we picked. So since you're our guest, why don't you tell us about Hillary? Oh, well, Hillary um, is just, a, a, a I think, a great representation of some early synth pop wave. And uh, I discovered it by chance. Um, when I was a teenager, I used to hang out with these... DJs in um, North Carolina at a station called WROQ, and back then that was called they were called an album-oriented rock and AOR station, formatted station. So that meant they played most of the stuff you remember from the '80s, from Prince to Ozzy to the old classic rock stuff to new wave stuff, and every now and then they took a chance on something punk. But in any case, they would invite me to the radio station, and I don't know if it was because I didn't have a father figure at the time or something, but these guys just just kind of took me in and said, here, you could just uh, go to this record room we have of all these records that don't fit our format or we don't play for whatever reason, and just take whatever you want. So I would go in there and just take things that I thought looked new wave or, you know, at that point I was into Devo and all that stuff, so I was looking for things, and this Kinetic 12-inch by Hillary popped up, and it had a triangular geometric logo with the word kinetic in it. And uh, I thought, well, that looks new wave. So I took it home and listened to it. And there was a song on this EP called Drop Your Pants. Your peaches are pleasing and always in season. I see you giving girls the eye. You taste the good before you buy. You trick a treat beneath the sheet. It's head to toe between my feet. So drop your pants around your ankles. You make me shit when you deliver. So drop your pants around your ankles. You make me shit when you deliver. So drop your pants around your ankles. You make me shit when you deliver. So drop your pants around your ankles. You make me shit when you deliver. I thought it was the it was the dirtiest song I'd ever heard up to that point, and I thought Prince was like the dirtiest you could hear at that point. You know, I thought everybody was talking about how Prince was all dirty and his music shouldn't be played on the radio. And then I heard Drop Your Pants and. I guess I just never experienced gay club music until then, but uh, Drop Your Pants was hilarious to me, and I loved the synth in it, and um, later on, like in the late 90s, I discovered that Hillary was 
online and she was a big fan of uh, Gary Newman and she was on all these Gary Newman, um, I don't know what you called them back then, news groups, I guess. And um, she uh, was posting about her love of Gary Newman and I really wanted to get in touch with her and I kind of felt like a fanboy. I didn't want to just reach out to her and say, yeah, I'm a huge fan. Hello. So I waited and then a couple of years later, I don't know, maybe, no, wait, a few years later in 2007, I heard that she had died and I was just, oh, I was like, fuck, I can't believe I missed that chance to say hi to Hillary. So um, anyway, I've just been obsessed with collecting everything and everything related to Hillary since then, uh, since the 80s when I discovered this EP. And there's not much out there. There's basically just the EP and a couple of odd 12 inches. And so uh, but anyway, I just love it. I love the, the new waveness of it and I love the synth and the, everything's great. And I try to turn it on to uh, I try to turn anybody on to it that I can that I think might like it. I th- hopefully you'll turn it on some of the, the uh, twenty or so listeners we have. Yeah, let's do it. <laughs> I was pretty impressed. Uh, I this is the first I've heard of it. Uh, I really did like the 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 kinetic single, uh, the kinetic A side. I guess would be, but yeah, it's a, it's a, it's kind of a coveted record to some DJs. I mean, it it made a big impact in the uh, gay New York club scene. I guess back in the eighties, so. People who know what it is can get good money for it on eBay, um, people who can find the right customer. But oftentimes, we'll just find it in random dollar bins, and that makes me really happy when that happens. And I'm the kind of person, I'm so into this, you know, what do you call being a, a completist or whatever, that I'll get multiple copies of the same damn thing, and it'll be exactly the same. Like, I'll have the promo stamped, stickered, covered copy, but I'll find another one and have to buy it just because it's so good. I feel like I, I should rescue it from the dollar bin. <laughs> I don't know if anybody can relate to that feeling of already having the record, but looking at it and going, man, this doesn't belong here in the dollar bin. This is worth at least $3. <laughs> I should save it. <laughs> we should have gotten you on with our guest last week, uh, the obsessive They Might Be Giants collector. Uh, I think you two, you two could have a lot in common. Yeah, unfortunately, probably so. <laughs> our sicknesses overlap somehow. Yeah. Um, yeah, I I love the Hillary EP. Um, oh, I, I what? Oh, never. Oh, yeah, we're still talking about the Hillary EP. What am I doing? Never mind. I'll, 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 I'll. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, this is this is gonna be a weird show, isn't it? We're we're all just sort of all over the place, aren't we? I don't I even know if we've actually like introduced our, ourselves, especially because we have a guest and everything. So it's sort of like we talk about poop. We, we just we just jumped right in on the end. <laughs> oh yeah. So what do I do? Oh yeah, we're joined by uh, this week with uh, Michael Pilmer, uh, the obsessive Devo collector nerd and other collector nerd. And I don't know, tell us a little about yourself, real quick. I'm not sure if I fit the category of nerd, though. I could see geek, but nerd is like there's connotations with that uh, that I think I think nerds watch movies, they like science fiction, they like um, computers. I don't like any of those things. I, I really. <laughs> I just don't fit into that. For some reason, I'm I'm really geeky about certain things, but I just don't fit into the nerd category because I don't think I'm smart enough, <laughs> and I'm just not into the right I'm not into the right pop culture to be a nerd. <laughs> At least I don't think so. I don't fit in with most nerds. I hate my music. <laughs> so anyway, go ahead. I'm sorry to interrupt. No, that's all. That's all. It's, it's, a, it's a hard distinction. It's a hard distinction. <laughs> there, there was a, a long time ago. Um, I worked at a, a software company here in Raleigh, and we had a reputation of being like the weirdo company that was kind of owned by a bunch of people that knew each other, and they're all friends, and we had colored hair and whatever. And so this 
newspaper locally did an interview with me as the representative from that company and two other people that worked at software type nerdy companies in town and they wanted us to discuss the differences between the term nerd and the term geek. And I always thought that nerd was more of a like geek was somebody who was 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 obsessed with whatever they're obsessed with very much on purpose and um for a specific reason, typically, and then the nerd was more of a kind of a socially broke, like so they weren't as socially. Uh, uh, what do I want to say? They were a little more socially retarded <laughs> than, than geeks, right? They were like nerds were. I mean, I think you could start off as a nerd and turn into a geek. I think you could, but there, it was funny. We just debated these two terms like ten years ago, and I can't remember all the uh, ins and outs of it, but it was interesting. <laughs> there, there's a Venn diagram that's been making the rounds. Uh, I'll see if I can find it. Maybe throw it into our show notes. Of that, basically, nerd is the intersection between intelligence, obsession, and social awkwardness. Um, geek is the intersection between social awkwardness and obsession, and dork is the intersection between uh, between social awkwardness and intelligence without the obsession. So they all have social awkwardness in them. Yeah, yeah, that's that's interesting. Well, I feel awkward right now. <laughs> did I did I interrupt the um, introduction? I can't. I just, I think I did. I'm sorry. I I don't know if there's really even like a hard and fast introduction. It, uh, it was just one of those things where I figured we should actually at least say your name just because yeah, like that's... I don't think we'd actually done that yet. Cool. It's just oh, here's this guy talking now. <laughs> you you just leave me alone and tell me what to do. I'm I'm sitting here and ready to play. Yeah. <laughs> We're very loose around here. So. Yeah. Yeah, most people I hang out with are. <laughs> well, wait, maybe, we, maybe we should rinse this back on topic. Matt was going to talk about the what he thought about the Hillary EP. <laughs> yeah, who wants to talk about music? I, I don't know. We could talk about anything. I don't care. <laughs> well, I mean, this is a music this is a music podcast. So, all right, let's talk about Hillary. I'm down. I've been wanting to spread the word about her since 1983. <laughs> all right, like I. I I I had no idea that that about this EP. I ended up like because like uh, I even just saw like Hillary EP. I'm like, what the what the hell is that? I mean, what is that the title of the EP? You know, and then ended up like you know getting it. And I was like listening to it, and and from the lyrics, I was able to Google it, and I was like, this is really really good. And I there's a site online now that's sort of a a Hillary site that has like the EP in like Apple Lossless even. So I. Yeah. I was able to grab that and dump that into my like iTunes and everything. And yeah, I, I was like really, really impressed. I was like, I had never heard of, heard of her. No, I, you know, no idea what I was getting into. I, even when I was trying to Google it before I even heard it, the only thing, or the first thing that came up was this like MySpace page from this like, like band in Brazil. Oh, right. Yeah. Well, Hillary is such a common word. It's really hard to find. I usually search for Hillary and the word kinetic when I search for her and then stuff pops up. Yeah. Yeah. But it was like kind of funny because I'm like, I'm like trying to figure out, you know, what, in, what in the hell this is. And then I sit down and listen to it. And it's like, oh, what the hell this is, is awesome. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I was like, I just really dug it. And I mean, like kinetic is such a great slice of synth pop. And, yeah. and same with uh, drop your pants too. Although, it was like kind of funny because at first I thought it was a drop your pants Roger Isles. <laughs> I was like, wow, that's like really ahead of the time. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking awesome EP. So you, you you done good in trying to turn turn the world on to Hillary because 
the world needs to know Hillary, and it's too bad that she's dead. Yeah, I know. I, I don't know what she was dealing with, but uh, uh, supposedly she committed suicide, which oh. I don't even know. I don't even know if we should put that in the thing, but um, yeah, that's the story I heard from somebody who knew her. Oh, that's awful. Awful, right? I think she always dealt with some kind of depression through her whole life, is what I've been told. But um, I just wish her music would have caught on a little bit, at least to make her enough money to continue to play or write music or whatever, because maybe that would have kept her around longer if somebody, the right person would have discovered her again, you know? Yeah. Because, yeah, I mean, this is like basically her discography, right? I mean, this. Yeah, that's it. And I, you know, I've talked to a guy that knew her well and I guess has access to her archives and recordings and he never really let me know whether there was anything else usable that could ever be released. Because before she died, me and this guy talked about you know, making t-shirts of the old EP cover and re-releasing it on CD with bonus tracks and he was going to look into all that and then she died and it was like, ah, oh. then communications just kind of stopped after that. So that yeah, was something. <laughs> yeah, I, I thought this was an awesome EP, and I was like, when it was over, it was like, wait, well, that's it. There, there, that's it. Yeah, I, there's no part. Every time I listen to it or turn somebody onto it, I feel like I'm, you know, giving Hillary the thumbs up wherever she is now, and she's looking, looking at us, going, "Yes, thank you for spreading the word on that fucking EP." Mm-hmm. Broke my back trying to put that thing out. I'm sure she's thinking. Um, but uh, there's a, for Collector Geeks, there's a, an early version of the Kinetic single that was put out on some small label, I guess a year or two before the real EP came out. That's hard to find. Um, but uh, yeah, I, every time I show somebody uh, the Hillary EP or let them hear it, they typically always like it. If they're any kind of fan of 80s music at all, they um, tend to like it. Yeah. I'm not as big of a 80s connoisseur as Matt and Rich are, but I equally enjoyed this EP. And um, I particularly liked Goose Step, Two Step, just because it was a little bit darker and a little bit more uh, sort of spacious. And um, I just think it's fascinating that there's, you know, some a completely unknown artist. You know, she's got four songs and it's um, it's just an amazing little EP. Yeah, it's great. I actually have a good friend who's a DJ here in Philadelphia, Robert Drake, um, who is hopefully going to be listening to this. I have to actually hook him up with this because he his big thing he is a, a '80s new wave uh, connoisseur himself. Uh, every every month on WXPN here in Philly, he has a four hour uh, block of new wave stuff, and he doesn't just play like stuff everyone knows. He goes obscure. I don't even know if he knows about uh, Hillary, but I'll pass it along to him because yeah. if he doesn't know, he will eat this up. The only thing I'm worried about is passing the word around with this is it's going to get harder to find her vinyl in dollar bins. People are going to be looking for it now. That's mm-hmm. going to be sad. <laughs> <laughs> Even though I have everything two times over, I, I need more of it. <laughs> <laughs> There's other things, too, that are, that I just discovered recently that are really obscure 80s bands. Like There's this one band called Casino. I forget what damn country they're from, some weird country. And um, Casino, they had a uh, like one single out. Um, I can't even remember the exact name of the song right now, but uh, uh, we discovered them in a flea market in Virginia where we were looking through this guy's collection of Civil War prints, and in the middle of all these stupid Civil War prints, there were like five or six, seven inches crammed in between, and we pulled them out, and there were all these European pressing random new wave uh, singles. There's one guy named Al Corley who was a soap opera star back in the 80s. He put out this synth pop single that we love, and... Uh, just strange how you find this stuff, but you really have to start going by look. You have to look at it and go, does it look like bad, cheesy, new wave, stereotypical new wave? Well, then if so, then I'll buy it. 
And sometimes it's just really just bad, awful. But uh, every now and then you come across some gems. Yeah, maybe like someone like you know you should like hook up with like the Numero Group or something and and put out a one of those like the really awesome compilations of you know the the weird ass new wave of the world, you know. And it's, yeah, yeah. If it didn't seem like a nightmare getting rights to do all that stuff and. Ugh, seems seems like a real horrible nightmare putting a project like that together. <laughs> yeah, well, that's why I'm saying like you know, make Numero do all the you know the the heavy lifting. You just be all like, make, I don't make, even know what that is. I, I'm such oh, an, I'm oh, not I'm not a nerd to such an extreme. I don't know what Numero is. Oh, Numero Group are like they they're just like a I guess I guess you'd call them a reissue label, but they kind of comp like they kind of um specialize in compilations. So they actually put out physical product. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. like like they always like have like. Kick-ass liner notes, like like uh, I just got one of um, their their I think it's their newest release. It's called Buttons, and it's like basically uh, Illinois power pop. Oh, and it's like because it's, it's got like I I think like Shoes is probably like the only band on there that anyone would like have ever heard of, right. and even that is kind of you know you know dodgy in the in the well-known <laughs> sense, you know. Yeah, but it's got like this like thick booklet of like things on all of these like random ass bands and and it's like stuff where it's like always like really really good too i mean there's one of um that like there was like a power pop um fanzine called yellow pills and numero did like a two cd kind of thing best of and that was like where i found out about well found out about shoes there um this band called the toms and like just like all this cool stuff that like no one had ever heard of but it's all really great I would love to curate something like that. I could imagine something where it would be two songs from each band that I picked and uh, to give people a, a, a vision of what they are beyond one song, you know? And, um, you know, if it was vinyl, there'd be, uh, you know, six or whatever songs on one side, six songs on the other side, and they'd all be in the same order. You know, the bands would be in the same order, but just different songs, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I would love to curate something like that. That'd be fucking great. Yeah, but totally, totally Google uh, the Numero group because I, like, I think they would be up your alley. They're, one of one of the ones, like the recent ones, was a uh, oh, it was this uh, tiny label. Uh, I think it was called Body, mm-hmm. and um, they in there it was like kind of funny because they they actually like it was like a studio and a pressing plant, like basically right next door to each other. And mostly what they would do would would be like kind of cool, weird soul singles. But like one of the things that they were they they had like the um, complete discography of everything pressed at Body. And there were like a couple of Devo bootlegs. <laughs> like I think there was a bootleg pressing of the the Boogie Boy Mongoloid EP. Yeah, oh, I, know, I know that the guy that puts those out. I'm familiar with him and his work. Didn't he do a Oh No It's Rubato records years and years ago? Oh, uh, Terry Thamewitz. Yeah, doesn't he put out those bootleg Mongoloid twelve inches too? Oh, he wow. might. I don't know. I think yeah, it's yeah, I think guy. that is him. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know him or anything. I just recognize that he did those bootleg projects mm-hmm. yeah. We get yeah off track? i'm sorry if we got off track i'm just talking about whatever <laughs> that's kind of i think that's kind of standard operating procedure here i think <laughs> that's correct <laughs> but yeah totally google uh numero group they're they're probably like up your alley like at least at least in what they're doing if not you know the necessarily the music so i don't think they've done a lot of new wave stuff but they should they're fucking up. <laughs> that, that's why. They, that's why you need to call them up and be all like, "Dude, you're fucking up. Let me help." You. <laughs> <laughs> I guess that, that's probably, it's probably a good segue to your pick, Matt. Slow children. Yeah, like um, it's funny because like I I um 
like I had no idea that um, uh, Michael was going to pick Hillary uh, when I chose uh, Slow Children, um, but they totally mesh because really? it's another one of those like you know forgotten uh, '80s new wave bands. They like they put out I think either one or two LPs. Wikipedia says two. Two. Okay. Uh, the the thing that, the the pick that I did ended up being is like both of it's basically their complete discography because it fits on a CD. <laughs> and um there it's uh Pal Shazar and Chris um damn it, I'm blanking on his name, which means I'm a bad fan. Andrew Chinich is is the other fella uh in the band. And uh Pal Shazar is still doing music. I don't know if Andrew is, but yeah, it's just really great like new wave stuff. Like it was like kind of funny, like my friend best friend Ben turned me on to them and was like he sent me like a the download link, which you can actually find at the at the Wikipedia page, because I think it's basically um, it's unofficial, but I, I think it's basically has like Pal's blessing. So I think she even links to it on her page. But it was like basically like where the fuck was this when we were in high school? Because you know he knew that you know I mean that was like right when we were discovering like Devo and lots of you know the Vapors and a lot of stuff like that. And he basically knew that we would just have like basically like shat ourselves if we'd come across, you know, one of the slow children records, <laughs> but it's just like, just kicks ass so hard. And I mean, like you have like, uh, you know, president MI was like kind of the single and the, there's a video for that one. Uh, but the one that I, I chose was, um, I'm, I'm out of it today. I, I had to wake up early for a dentist appointment. <laughs> yada, yada. <laughs> Late I, I night, chose some damn song. I don't know. <laughs> late night transatlantic. <laughs> thank you, thank you. I like I said, it's my my teeth are clean, but my brain is not. <laughs> but anyway, I think we have a title. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, why don't why don't why don't we hear a little bit of that right now, there for the kids? Like, are we actually going to hear it? Because I haven't, I don't listen to music online, so I never l- went to look for slow. Tr- oh man, I'm looking on eBay right now. They got the clear vinyl pressing of Kinetic 12 inch, $9.99. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Someone's about to spend some money. That's tempting. Um, so uh, yeah, I haven't heard it. I'm just wondering, can you guys play any of it right now? Uh, I don't. I can't really like pipe it in. Unfortunately, I'm sorry. Can, um, you, can you sing a little bit? <laughs> I'll leave that and, one to Matt. <laughs> and Rich, maybe you can do the synths. You can do air. You know, <laughs> well, you know, I do, I do have like this cheap ass Yamaha on my on my desk here. <laughs> <laughs> like, um, did did we actually like share the uh, Dropbox link with you, Michael? Yeah, I, you did, but I never. I don't. I don't listen to music on my computer, so it's like I didn't go get the files because I didn't want to play them on my laptop oh like like shitty. i'm like i'm like cd vinyl guy that's the only time time to listen to music i don't listen to music and headphones i don't put things in my ears or on my ears i listen to it on a stereo or in a car ah. <laughs> i'm so old school it's, it's <laughs> like i've never downloaded music i've never had an itunes account i've never had anything that plays mp3s on purpose and um i just don't care about digital music at all <laughs> okay well, like i guess like you know download it and burn it to a cd because it 
I think I think this would be like right up your alley, honestly. I'm gonna look. I'm gonna look for some stuff uh, vinyl wise when I go uh, record shopping here soon. Um, yeah, because I think they were. Uh, I'm trying to remember what their label was. It was. I think I, I remember seeing. I can almost visualize the cover. Isn't that like a street sign kind of looking thing? Uh, well, there, there's there were a couple of different covers. Uh, the one that I uh, have is it's uh, Pow uh, holding her leg with her left hand and staring in horror at her right. Oh, I've never seen that one. Okay. And the funny thing is, too, is I'm, I'm looking at like looking at this, and I didn't even realize this. But it's it was the at least the first album was produced by uh, Stephen Haig, who also did Hillary. Yeah, and I'm just looking right now at a original press kit. 1983 Hillary with bio and photo and Steve Haig is mentioned in it. That's funny. Yeah. Well, I, when I was Googling, uh, Hillary, like, uh, he, he's credited as like producing and like, I think like co-writing a lot of the tracks on the EP. So that's so funny that we both picked something with that guy involved. Yeah. Yeah. Cause yeah, it was like funny. Cause like, like I had no idea, you know, you were choosing it. And I mean, like, even when I found out you were choosing, it, I was like, okay, I, I have no idea what, what, what this is, you know? Yeah. Thank so, goodness. Yeah. So, <laughs> So yeah, totally like, um, like totally check out Slow Children. Uh, it would be so up your alley. All right, I'm down. I'm gonna check it out. I enjoyed it sure. too. I don't. I think I, I didn't like it as much as Hillary. Uh, I guess I'll, I'll be honest. Hillary wins. Me... Hillary wins. Because <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a lot of the stuff was just this very same tempo, and there was a whole lot of it. I didn't actually make it all the way through the record. But I did check out Late Night Transatlantic, which was good. And President Am I is really, really good. I like that one better, actually, than Late Night Transatlantic uh, uh-huh. quite a bit. Yeah, for me, I, I really like the the lyrics on uh, Late Night Transatlantic, the the kind of story about the um, going to the talk show and that it kind of this, I don't know, it just has this kind of like darker side of fame narrative kind of thing. And, mm-hmm. and I don't know, that's what dug it for me. And I figured that like, you know, since President M.I. is the single, that would be, like, kind of the one that, if anyone has a, a shot in hell of knowing Slow Children, that's probably the song that they would know. So I figured I, I'd just change it up a little bit. Nothing wrong with that. I listen to this, this stuff, like, fucking constantly. <laughs> I'm generally curious what Andrew has to think of that, what Andrew thinks of this one. Yeah, I'm kind of along the same lines as you, Rich. Um I didn't know until just before we started recording when I looked it up that this was their entire discography. So I was like, oh, this is going to be so much to absorb. Um, but I enjoyed it, you know, well enough while I was listening to it. I think I'm just getting to the point where all of these, cause I feel like we've been kind of on a, an eighties new wave sort of synth pop sort of a uh, trek theme. <laughs> and, uh, it's all starting to kind of blend together for me. But while I was, uh, while I was listening to it, I enjoyed it, um, very much. So I don't have anything negative to say about it. I'm just, uh, might be a little new waved out. <laughs> I know my, uh, you and I, we have picks that are a little out, that are out, that are not that, but you're pretty close, I guess. Y- you got the King Crimson record this this week, right? Yeah, I was. I, you know, it's funny because this. Uh, I'm not a a big completionist King Crimson fan like I am with some of my other favorite bands, but um, I guess with the the Discipline record from King Crimson, I think it's eighty one or something like that. Yeah, eighty one sounds about right. Eighty one. And, um, I, but I love this record and it does have, according to Wikipedia, it does have a sort of mesh between the, the new wave sort of sounds. And I guess what were their heavier, darker sounds in the seventies. And, um, I don't want to shortchange your pick, Matt. Are we done with that? Or are we moving oh, on? I think so. Yeah. I, okay. I, I, uh, yeah. <laughs> I'm cool <laughs> talking about King Crimson cause I, I, I dug that one too. So there you go. <laughs> yeah. 
Um, but so this record, this is really the only I have in the court of the Crimson King, I believe, but I don't, I haven't given that one as many listens as I have with discipline. And, um, the way I came across this record, I believe was through, uh, the Les Claypool and Primus realm, uh, because Les Claypool covered Thalen Ginjeet, uh, with his Frog Brigade. Uh, I have a link to that, uh, of their Bonnaroo performance in the show notes, which is just awesome. And wasn't um, that on the first Frog Brigade album also, or? Yes, it was. Yeah. It was on, uh, Live Frogs set one. And, um, I just, that track in particular is, uh, just a huge instrumental tour de force. Um, with that churning bass line and everything. Um, why don't we play that one? But yeah, I just love that song, and uh, it's got a, that great churning bass line uh, via Tony Levin, uh, Peter Gabriel fame. And uh, the record itself is just has a great vibe to it. It's got sort of, like I said, that mesh between the new wave sounds and the, the darker sort of 70s sound, and it's kind of psychedelic, and it feels very exotic, and it's just, especially when you first hear Elephant Talk and that, that Chapman stick line comes in, also from Tony Levin. It's just, uh, it's very unique, and uh, I love it very much. So that's kind of all I have to say about it. It's just a great record. I think it's interesting that you picked this after I spent the the Stop Making Sense uh, uh, episode basically verbally filleting Adrian Ballou. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, who deserves it every 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 second of it? But sure. and so that I you're I know you're you're the bass player. You're obviously focusing on the bass. I was so focused on the guitar lines and. Mm. It's, I love the guitar sound on this. I'm a sucker for a really beautiful, clean guitar sound. And this is some of the best. You can hear every fucking guitar note on this record. Yeah. It's amazing. And yeah, I do have to, I have to mention one thing. I, I, I've mentioned Matt about this. The MP3s you gave me and Matt, they didn't work. We had to go download it ourselves because it crashed iTunes for me. (laughs) Yeah. I ended up, so, so the one that I, that I grabbed, and I don't know if this is the one that Rich grabbed too, was the, the one that came out either like, I think last year, the 40th anniversary one. Yeah. So that one had like a couple of bonus tracks, I think, on there. I don't know. Yeah. Um, yeah, mine just, I don't know why that happened. I'm sorry about that. No worries. Uh, <laughs> yeah, not your, but not yeah, your mine fault. It has the, the alternate version of Mate Kudasai. That's the only bonus track. Yeah, I think this, this one had a couple of vocal loops on there, and I think it had that too, but. But yeah, it was, it was it was one where it was sort of like, oh, this didn't work. Well, okay, I'll I will uh, find other ways to procure things. Was <laughs> it like an iTunes, like you needed my iTunes password type thing? No, it just um, crashed. They were crashed. <laughs> right. Yeah, they, That's bizarre. Let that be a lesson to you. You should listen to CDs and vinyl only. <laughs> cassettes every now and then. <laughs> we have opinions on cassettes on this show. <laughs> I bet. <laughs> but yeah, I, I I don't know. I I I I'm not a huge King Crimson fan. More out of like not knowing than not liking, you know. So yeah. I, I this is like first time I'd I'd sat down with like a King Crimson record really, and yeah. I I really dug it. I I, I was like kind of funny listening to like because Elephant Talk is like the first track on there. Yeah, and it was like kind of funny because like it starts with this like really really 
Primus bass riff. I'm like, oh, I know. I'm like, wow. I I knew that they were a you know the a uh, big influence on Les Claypool, but wow, I didn't realize to what extent. <laughs> yeah, totally. If if you listen to Elephant Talk and Jerry was a race car driver, you know, back to back, the the influence is just astounding because Jerry has that great tapped uh, bass line at the beginning, um, which is you know clearly influenced by by the King Crimson sort of sound, and um, Les is a huge. Adrian Ballou fan, and they he actually guested with Primus at uh, Bonnaroo 04, and I can't find any performances from that on YouTube, but um, they did, uh, Adrian Ballou came out and guested on those damn blue collared tweakers, and then they played Lone Rhinoceros, which I guess is from one of Adrian's uh, solo albums, and then they played a roaring version, I guess they're all roaring, but a roaring version of Thalen Dingy, which is just fantastic, so I don't know if you have that, Matt, but I'll have to pass that along to you, because yeah. that would be right up your alley. Yeah, I don't think I do have that because I, I did not know about that. So that would be awesome. Yeah. Because, yeah, I mean, like, Baloo is, is rad. And it's, like, kind of funny because I'm listening to it and I'm, like, thinking, like, like, Thayla Hunganji had, like, totally a Zappa vibe to me. Mm-hmm. And, and some of the other stuff on there had a Talking Heads kind of vibe. And I'm thinking about myself, well, I guess that makes sense because, like, Baloo played with both, you know? Right, so. right. Yeah. yeah, I was going to mention that the, the vocal delivery on Elephant Talk just so screamed David Byrne to me. Mm, yeah, it's a good point. I actually, uh, I was con- back when I was first getting into Talking Heads. I think I had probably learned of King Crimson beforehand, and I was not. I couldn't tell if it was if this was Adrian Ballou singing or was that David Byrne or what. So there's definitely some some chemistry there. I can't really add much to the King Crimson discussion. I never knew much about him. I've never known his music or owned any of it. The only thing I know. The only way I know King Crimson is through the Dickies, because Leonard Graves Phillips, the singer of the Dickies, is a big King Crimson fan, and I think he covered, the Dickies covered one of the King Crimson songs. I can't remember which one. That's all I know about King Crimson. (laughs) (laughs) It was actually kind of funny, too, because I was, uh, with King Crimson, like, uh, because I I was kind of, like, talking to uh, my friend Monty, you know, because he's a, you know, he's kind of more of a prog guy, and he's also, you know, into, you know, stuff, you know, like, uh, he even asked me to ask, you know, Andrew about, uh, um, Umphrey's live stuff. And, you know, he used to be into the, you know, like getting like, you know, Grateful Dead bootlegs and stuff. And it was like kind of funny because I was thinking to myself, well, I'm not really into like, you know, prog so much. I tend to find that like more, more up my alley than like jam bands, even though yeah. it's basically kind of the same thing. It's just that like prog is nerds and jam bands are hippies. <laughs> <laughs> And I'm like wondering if it's just like my like inner Eric Cartman in there being, you know, you know, hippies suck, you know, because <laughs> I mean, like I, I like jam bands tend to like turn me so off, like, you know, like fish or, or whatever. I just shut down and be like, OK, fuck this. Fuck this hippie shit. <laughs> <laughs> but like with like, you know, when you know, when you have like stuff like, you know, like King Crimson or Porcupine Tree or or, you know, prog stuff like that, I'd be like. Even if it's not my thing, I like I tend to like appreciate it where I I don't just like dismiss it out of hand. And I think it might be my own sort of inner inner biases. <laughs> and it's like sort of like I, I had a little bit of soul searching there, but not not too much because, you know. Yeah. I mean I'm I kind of agree with you, Matt, because I'm not a huge um true jam band like Grateful Dead, Fish, um, Widespread Panic and that sort of thing, just because I I don't find it very interesting because of just how long and how kind of noodly and sort of wandering the jams are. And I suppose if you're enjoying certain substances, that would <laughs> be a better experience. But um, at the same time, when 
not, I could vouch for that. Would not be a better experience. <laughs> when, um, when it comes to that music and me, do not put me near that music. No matter what I'm on, don't put me near it. <laughs> yeah, but at the same time, I mean, I've been to a, few, a handful of music festivals, and and when Primus disbanded in 2000, and Les went on to do his his decade really of of solo projects and became very widely accepted in the jam community. Uh, you know, something like the Frog Brigade is much jammier than than Primus ever was. Mm-hmm. And um, I don't know really what distinguishes, I mean, I suppose because, just because I'm a huge Claypool fan, but, uh, you know, there are certain elements of the jam band scene that I like. Um, the emphasis on improvisation and the love of the music itself as opposed to commercial purposes and things like that. But um, when it gets too too hippie shall we say i uh, i do tend to lose interest as well yeah and i think i think sort of the same thing happened with ween too because like for a while like they were huge on the jam band circuit which because i think it was because fish covered uh roses are free and and like it's like they wouldn't be known to like have jam out like i mean there's like you know 30 minute versions of like you know lmlyp out there or or poop ship destroyer but it's i don't know there there it just seemed that they were better and even though i do tend to not listen to like the 30 minute poop ships it's you know and then they end up just being all like man the rest of this music sucks ass and then they stopped doing jam band tours because <laughs> they they realized that they hated the music <laughs> so <laughs> so there you go okay i got my i have no interest in jam bands either so i'm not even a huge prog fan but i do like I, just to go back to King Crimson, I do like this version of King Crimson. I haven't checked out the older stuff. But if the rest of the yeah, 80s I output is, is like this, then I'll, I'll have to check out more of it. Definitely, yeah. And it yeah almost, I know it's I'm, a very... Go ahead. Oh, it also makes me tempted just because the guitar playing to pick Television's Marquee Moon for next week. Yeah, because that's another a really example of really great, very clean guitar sound. Anybody like the Boswell sisters? I don't Who? know them. <laughs> No, never heard of them. Yeah, well, you know the Andrew sisters, right? The Boogie Woogie Bugle Boy and all right. that. Right, yeah. Well, the Boswell sisters were kind of like the original version or the more punk rock version of the Andrew sisters. The Andrew sisters took what the Boswell sisters were and kind of whitened it up a little bit, made it more clean cut. The, the Boswell sisters were girls that grew up in New Orleans, and I think the story is that they... They hung out with slaves uh, more than they did other people, and they picked up on all their songs and their vocal stylings, and they really did some crazy uh, vocal breakdown, weird shit. And and their music was people people would call radio stations when they played back in the day in the early '30s and complain of the savage chanting that they would hear because it sounded kind of like you know, black singers, and they they wanted white girl singers. <laughs> so anyway, uh, they're interesting. They're 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 really cool. Um, Mark Mothersbaugh is a big fan of theirs, and um, I actually turned Mark Mothersbaugh into a lot of Boswell sisters, but uh, the Boswell sisters are great. You should check them out. Cool. I'm adding that to my list. Yeah, uh, one of them's in a wheelchair, too. That's a bonus. Oh, wow. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, I do like wheelchairs. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's pretty rock and roll for the 30s to bring a wheelchair out on stage. and uh, you know. But no, they hid the fact that she was in a wheelchair. I guess most photos you'll see you know, you don't see her where she's sitting or how she's sitting. Or I don't know why I brought up the puzzle sisters. Maybe it was because I just wanted to throw something in there that hopefully nobody knew about. <laughs> <laughs> As if Hillary wasn't you guys, enough. <laughs> you guys are talking about stuff that I have no idea about. Something to myself. What could I talk about that they have no idea about? Yeah. Well, I'm not going to help because my pick this week is a band that I think only Andrew may have heard of besides me. Bacon Ray. Mm-hmm. 
<laughs> and uh, no. I, I sent you Speaking a link to where you can... In, in Ray, R-A-Y? Yeah. I sent you a link on okay. the Facebook uh, where you can hear like the songs. Uh, this is their 7 uh, GP they put out. I don't even remember when. i got to actually look this up. If you'll bear with me, I'll cut all this out. <laughs> um, it's called Tom Foolery, but I'm not interested in the A side. Um, yeah, it came out in 95. Um, I'm interested in the B side. There's two B sides. Song, one song is called Plika Plika, which anyone who listens to the Back to Work podcast should know. And the other is Sundays in a Row, which is my absolute... Which, oh, no, sorry. Plika Plika is on the A side. What am I saying? Well, the B side is, is Sundays in a Row, and let's hear a little bit of that now. Extravaganza's wait where I would like to go should hum it at least or something <laughs> i want the way it used to be we take the time each time we please uh sorry if i'm toned off i want to <laughs> show coming. you wait, wait, is, that song, Plika, Plika? is that Plika or sundays in a row uh this is sundays in a row plika plika is okay, instrumental I'm, <laughs> um, yeah, I'm, okay. I'm gonna yeah. check it out hold on <laughs> pardon me while i check this out i want to get a feel for this it's not fucking playing of course Oh, here we go. Alright. What year is this from again? 95. Okay, yeah. You know what? For some reason, and I, I, I'm sorry if I'm interrupting anything, uh, that reminds me of this guy, that reminds me of a very, um, like, well-put-together, well-produced version of this guy named Weird Paul Petrowski. Anybody know who oh, he is? Oh, I've heard of, I've heard of Weird Paul. I've yeah. got a couple of his things, yeah. For some reason, I, just a few seconds I heard of that song, the voice and the, the instrumentation uh, reminded me of Weird Paul. But Weird Paul is a very much way lower-fi version of, of Bacon Ray. <laughs> so uh, the reason I picked this song is that I just – I love the lyrics. It's um, basically – it's a guy singing to his poor, his girlfriend that they never spend any time together because she's so busy working. She has to work weekends. She has to work Sundays. And they never see each other. So he, he wants Sundays in a row. He wants to be able to have at least a one day of the week with her. And it, it's very plaintive. It's very, and it's, it, it, it kind of hits home in a way too. So, so I, I'd love to know what you guys think. If Merlin's on lead vocal on this one. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I love it. I mean, I think it's great. I, uh, I have collected all of, uh, Merlin Mann's sort of musical career, including the, the back to work Squarespace sponsorships. And what else did he do? Uh, Merlin. Yeah. Let's see. Stuff. Oh, he did Found My Place for Squarespace. And then sometimes there's a man, which was for MailChimp, I think. Just a series of short, uh, little musical nuggets for, um, done all entirely on the iPad. And, uh, I love all of those. And I love the Baker and the EP. And, um, even though he's not, you know, very well known as a musician, I, uh, I appreciate that, that side of his creative talent. So. Yeah, I, I, I had no idea anything about this. I honestly thought that this was like, uh, way more recent than, uh, 95, honestly. Um, I, I didn't know it was Merlin Mann, cause I, you know, I don't know much about him at all, other than that you guys seem to lack him. But, um, I, yeah, I, I thought, like, it's like funny, cause I really liked Tom Foolery, but I thought Sundays in a Row, ugh, th- 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 Sundays in a Row was way better. I thought that, that was really the, the A side, I guess, even though it was on the wrong side of the wax. Um, okay. 
but yeah, I was like, I, I really dug it. I mean, does I, I guess like does he have more records out or? Bacon Ray put out two LPs. Uh, one I can't seem to find for the life of me, and the other it was put up for download a while back. Uh, and I'm sorry, I have trouble getting into the the actual album that I have of theirs, but I don't know. <laughs> okay, well, I mean, like it's one where I mean, I guess this because uh, this was a seven inch, right? Yeah. Yeah, and yeah, it basically like it, it did the job of the seven inch, which did make me interested in the the full uh, LP. So. There you go. Marketing I, at work. Yeah, I'll shoot you, if not the link to download the the, the one full length I have. If not, then I'll, or I'll shoot you the whole full length. Cool, cool. Yeah, I I, I dig that because I I'm I am definitely interested in more Bacon Ray, and they should do a tour with Fever Ray because they have Ray in. Hey, the- I've heard of Fever Ray. <laughs> <laughs> Only because my girlfriend has a shirt that says Fever Ray on it. Oh yeah, it's like uh, the um, lead singer of the Knife's solo band. Oh, okay, the knife. I've heard of them. Okay, I'm hearing about these things. I know these things. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's like we, we've I mean, got you grounded. Yeah, the, the yeah. Fever Ray record sounds just like the knife. And but the thing is, like, I think I might actually like the Fever Ray a little bit better than some of the knife stuff. But it's it really is kind of six of one, half dozen of the other. Yeah. So you know, just just either pick up Fever Ray or pick up uh, like Silent Shout or or the knife or Deep Cuts or whatever, and you're good. And they've got some really cool ass videos too. So cool ass videos. Cool ass videos. <laughs> I like any band with cool ass videos. But hyphen the, the placement of the hyphen here is very important. Yes, <laughs> the inflection of the voice. See, that's why texting and emails don't really work because you can't discern between an ass party and an ass party. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear. It's gonna be hard to discern. Is this gonna, is this gonna be like a typed out kind of uh, interview on in text form? Or? No, this is we we don't censor. Oh, okay, great. So you you can actually hear us saying "ass party" rather than "ass party." <laughs> yes, <laughs> yes, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh shit! This is what yeah, this is what we do on Saturdays. <laughs> Talk about ass parties. I'm sorry to interrupt. Go on with your no. Uh, I th- I think no, that's, I I'm good. Musical discussion. I, I'm sorry I can't put in very much. I'm actually, yeah, like, actually trying to make the cat make sounds while you guys are talking. Oh. Cooperating. <laughs> Cats don't cooperate with anyone. And uh, no, we're I'm actually we're, we're ready to turn this over to you. We're gonna talk to you and ask you questions now. Oh, okay. Hopefully, I can yeah. answer them. Yeah. Um. Basically, this is this is kind of part two of the two episode series we're doing about like being collectors. And last time, yeah, you know, we talked with uh, Ant about just collecting the actual music, the record. So we're gonna we're gonna nudge you about like merch and stuff if that's cool. Sure. Because yeah, it's like uh like did, did we mention uh Michael's uh Devo Obsesso site yet? I don't know if we did or not. Well, we just did. <laughs> well, there we go. There we yeah. go. Go go to uh, devo-obsesso.com. It is fucking awesome and really really fucking impressive. <laughs> yeah, you know. I don't, uh, you know, it's a pro- these websites, you know, they become an unfinished project ten years into the project. So it's like there's always things that I wish I had more time to do on that damn site, but I do what I can. I try to update it every now and then, at least when I get new items. But I wish I could update the whole fucking thing, but it's just um, it's too much, man. <laughs> it's just <laughs> too much to wrap my head around. But yeah, uh, uh, Diva Obsesso, yeah, that was. Um, I remember. When I came up with the name of that, Devo Obsesso, all, all my friends, we, they used to call me Devo Geek. 
um, when when I first started really collecting, and I was the Devo geek, and my phone number was you know eight three three geek, and uh, everything was geek. And then I um, decided to do a Devo collector website, and I was thinking I don't want to call it Devo geek. That sounds just too low budget or something. It doesn't sound right. It doesn't really respect the name of Devo. So then, for some reason, Devo Obsessor rolled off my brain, and that stock, and that seemed to say Devo geek without using the term geek. So there you have it. <laughs> you didn't ask, but there's the answer. <laughs> now we know. <laughs> yeah. and, and like basically, like like if like correct me if I'm wrong here, but isn't it basically something like where your collection was so awesome that Devo themselves were basically like, "Wow, you have stuff that we don't have. You should be our archivist." No, well, no, not exactly. It okay. Was more, it was more like um, I had been doing it for so long. And um, I was already helping them. You know, they would ask me for images if I had this, if I had that, if I had. I remember they asked me to send a bunch of seven inches to them for the. Um, what was it? One of those uh, CD sets they put out. Um, the pioneers, or one of the not pioneers, the um, the the um, Recombo, Recombo. Mm. It had a packaging, it had packaging that folded out, and there was all these seven inch covers. And so they actually had me send my box of seven inches to them so they could photograph them all. And so anyway, uh, when I started really working for them doing their website, I just told them, look, you can consider my collection your archives. Anytime you need something out of it, you know, I'll, it's just, you're, I'm, I'll be your archivist and I'll just archive all this shit for you. And I know you guys have, you know, some of those guys in the band try to archive Devo stuff for they used to, but, um, you know, it's like all scattered around in storage or, you know, in boxes in a wet basement or something, you know, so it's like, I just decided that uh, somebody had to um, start, uh, you know, putting all that stuff in plastic sleeves and archiving it so that I could easily access it if I needed it for any reason to promote Devo or for whatever reason they needed merch ideas or, or whatever. Um, and then, you know, around that time I met Brian Applegate who we, we met because we were doing a lot of trading in gold mine. And before there was internet, we were, um, before we had internet, we were ma mailing each other letters about trading Devo stuff. And then we finally decided to meet in 1996, I think it was, and that's when we challenged each other, okay, we're going to be really, we're going to take this to the extreme. We're going to collect anything with DEVO on it. It doesn't matter what, we're going to collect it. And we're going to see who can be the more ridiculous collector. So we just challenged each other. And we would always like, if we found two of something, we'd always send one to the other guy. And uh, it, was, it was a fun, uh, challenging, <coughs> geeky relationship. <laughs> and that pushed me to, to, to do it more and more and more. And so then when I started working closer with Diva, I was like, look, it just makes sense. I'll be your archivist. You come to me for that kind of stuff, and I'll help you out. So that's where it came from. And Applegate is—he's uh, uh, Reload, right? Yeah, punk group Reload. Uh, yeah. Cool. Yep. He's got a massive collection as well as most people know, and um, he has um, his website is uh, TempleOfDevo.com. He's got all his stuff up there, and um, uh, it's great. Uh, I've been pushing him for years to put his stuff online because he's always had massive lists of everything, and he's a very organized guy. All he needed was just to take it to the next level and put it online. He finally did it. I was so fucking happy to see that. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, so they, they didn't really come to me. Devo didn't come to me and say, hey, you should be our archivist. I said, hey, it just makes sense that I'm your archivist, probably. Archivist by default, basically. That's right. I was, I was there at the right place at the right time, I guess. You've got a lot of just really rare shit. I know you've got one of the uh, the suits from the Freedom of Choice album cover. Uh, yeah. Now that was um, that was the first thing Lisa Casali ever really gave me. Um, she, uh, I went out to visit them first time I met all those guys. Really, and was introduced to them. 
me and my girlfriend flew out to California and the Ksalis had invited us to stay in their guest room. And when we were driving up the driveway in our rental car to the Ksalis house, Lisa came running down the driveway with this suit. So she was like, look, I found it in the basement. You can have it. You can have it. And I'm like, what? That was like the weirdest greeting. I'm really surprised I didn't soil myself. I didn't. I held it together somehow. But yeah, she handed me this Freedom of Choice era suit. Uh, and uh, that was it. Yeah. And since then, I've just kept it in museums for the most part. Are the, are the other four suits still in existence? Do you, do you know? Well, I don't know. No, these things, uh, I'm sure Jerry has his, I would assume Mark has his stored away somewhere. You never know about the Bobs, um, if they keep stuff like that. Uh, the one I have, I think, is either Alan or Bob Ones. I can't remember. Um, but they had multiples of those things, too. They were prototypes. So the one I have might even be a prototype, but it was certainly from that era, and it's got somebody's name written in it. I believe it's Bob One. And, um, yeah, so there it's tricky with Devo costumes. There's so many little different differences in prototype versions and stuff you'll find, you know, in storage when I'm out there digging around. It's hard to decipher what a lot of that stuff is because they don't remember a lot about some things. So it's a lot of guesswork. Yeah. Well, and aren't, aren't Devo all about like the same size too? So it's not like you can really tell, you know, it used to be, well, yeah, <laughs> they used to be so skinny. Some of those clothes I find some of those old costumes, like, yeah, the Freedom of Choice suit in particular is so small. I can't imagine anybody older than 12 being able to fit into that thing. It's really a very tiny, tiny man suit. <laughs> it's really small. Yeah, they were skinny. Tiny spuds. <laughs> yeah. So, yes, yeah, so, so I don't know, some of the weirder items, like besides vinyl, is that what you want to talk about? It's on Obsesso? Yeah, that'd be yeah. cool, yeah. Well, there's the, the things that I have in the... There's a... What is that page called? Ultra Obsesso, I think it's called. And there's a link somewhere on the front page to it. Um, we'll but that's, all the where, that's all the stuff where we just took it to a, a crazy level in collecting. Like they, they would hand me their expired credit cards or health club, health spa cards or speeding ticket that they got. And um, that's where I put all that stuff. Um, Bob, one, Bob, two gave me his monogrammed bathrobe once, <laughs> told me to collect it, and so I collected it. Um, so that's some of the weirder stuff just to to be dumb and weird about it. Um, but some of the cooler stuff that isn't vinyl um, or CD or music media, I mean, there's so much. The, you know, the spud collar is something that I've been looking for for many, many years, a, a good copy of it, because Bob, too, gave me his, but it was cracked and broken and yellow, and it was just all fucked up. So for years, I've been looking for a, a perfect one, and just recently, um, one of the guys that worked with Brent Shrivener, Brent Scribner, who did the energy domes and the pumps and the spud collars. Um, a guy that worked with him back in the day just dug into his archives recently and um, decided, hey, I'm going to get rid of this stuff that I have. And he decided to send me what I've been looking for forever. And he sent me some prototypes of pumps and all this great stuff. And he's got a few of these things that he's going to put on sale later this month or early September. Um, I'll, I'll help him spread the word about that. But yeah, he's just this guy that used to work with Brent and he kept all this stuff for all this time. And it's been in mint condition for 30 years in his attic. Wow. So that was kind of cool to find that. Wow. Um, and it's weird how stuff like that pops up ever since, you know, certainly ever since Warner Brothers got involved a few years ago and our website traffic bumped up a little bit. People contact me all the time from out of the blue saying, hey, I used to work with Diva back in the day, or I was this huge fan who got this thing. And people just send stuff into the archives 
because they know it. Uh, they don't really want to keep it around, or they don't see a reason they would want to keep it around. <laughs> so they send it to me, and I get this stuff in the mail all the time. It's really amazing. I mean, we used to have to scour the earth for some of this stuff before there was uh, a lot of internet stuff going on. Um, we would have to scour Goldmine magazine and Maximum Rock and Roll or anything where there would be listings of things for sale. It's really tough to find, impossible to find this stuff. But now with this internet and the eBay and the Facebook and all this traffic and people connecting with each other, it's amazing what people have still sitting around in their attics. Sorry if I'm rambling. No, 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 no that's fine, that's fine. It's hella interesting, I, I, I think, anyway. I'm just like, <laughs> I, I'm like, you know, like, I don't know, just like, what uh, vicariously living through, you know, the idea of of people like sending you their, you know, unwanted spud was, you know. <laughs> yeah, and I don't even know if unwanted is the right word. It's just that they think um, it probably has a better home in the archives than it does in their closet or in the shoebox in their basement or whatever. You know, they, mm-hmm. they just look at it and go, "What am I keeping this so long for? It should be over there with all that other crap." <laughs> <laughs> I need room for my baby's diapers. <laughs> I don't need room for baby's diapers, by the way. <laughs> I need room for more Devo shit. <laughs> Devo diapers. It, it's amazing, too, because I have a whole storage space full of Devo stuff now. It's not, it used to be relegated to just my house, but now it's, it's uh, yeah, there's a lot of stuff. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was going to ask how, exa- how, how you're actually storing all of this. Um... Storage, uh, storage unit close to my house, and then I have a, a two-story house with some attic space that I built in that's heated and cooled and temperature controlled so i keep a lot of big plastic bins of stuff up there um and then the storage of course there's lots of bins and shelves and boxes and multiples of things so yeah i I always hoped that i would have a house big enough for everything but it's impossible (laughs) (laughs) storage spaces are a necessity yeah, and it's the storage space. I'm, I'm, I'm assuming the storage space is where you put anything that's not like temperature sensitive or something like that. Well, the storage space is heated and cool too. It's indoor. Oh, okay. It's not one. Of, okay. It's not. Out. No, it's like I couldn't put it anywhere where it wasn't going to be temperature controlled, for sure. It's just stuff that I don't need to access very much that I put in the offsite. The stuff I have to access, like all the photo files and printed stuff, records, CDs, anything I would have to pick up and look at to reference is all here. What do you think is like the I mean, I guess, like, given, you know, all of the, you know, like, the ultra-obsessive stuff, I mean, what is, like, the coolest one, do you think? I mean, like, I the know. coolest, weirdest, you know, thing that you're just sort of like, what the fuck? Why do I even have this? This is awesome. But there's a lot of, what the there's fuck? A lot of, a lot of what the fuck, why do I have this? I mean, I probably think that once a day. <laughs> I'm tripping over a, you know, fucking prototype energy dome or something. No, um. It's impossible. It's impossible because there's a there's there's reasons I like certain things for certain reasons. Like there's certain ways I got an item that are memorable or important to me, or or I had looked for something for so long and finally got it. Like the spud collar. That's the that's the most recent thing that I was like, God damn, that's awesome. Well, actually, you know, the record store day release was a dream that I had when I was I don't know, I'm guessing thirteen, fourteen, was to actually be able to design and and put out. A record for Devo or have some control of how it looks because I was always really into their design aesthetic. So mm. um, it finally happened, Record Store Day, and the, my favorite collectible of the last decade, at least, is this mispressing of the record where it's a clump of, you've probably seen it on Devo Obsesso or maybe on the Facebook page, but it's a clump of wax that had been 
put on the pressing thing, but not fully pressed, and then labeled. So it was like a big hunk of black wax with a label and a hole drilled in it. <laughs> and it was amazing. It was like it was an unpressed record. I'd never seen that before. It was the most interesting test pressing or mispressing I'd ever seen, and it was the record that I did for Devo. So it was like, oh, that's fucking great. I put it in a little glass, you know, case immediately. <laughs> <laughs> that, that is pretty awesome. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, and to have to have the luxury of of being in contact with the manufacturing company and saying, hey, look, when you press this record, save all the crap for me. Anything that's a mispressing, something that got scratched, whatever it is, just throw in a box. All the crap, whatever garbage you have left in this, and I got all kinds of weird shit, you know, mispressed, <laughs> mispressed covers and a stack of unused labels for the center of the record and uh, various mispressings. And so that was really cool. That was, you know, was like a Devo collector's dream come true is to have access to the factory when they're pressing the records. <laughs> <laughs> it's great. I. I I almost I'm wondering if they actually just if they didn't press that on purpose and just put it like wait just to give to you just as a I don't know because <laughs> uh, when I got to the record label they had gotten the box from the manufacturer and they were like dude you got to see this one thing that he threw in here and I don't I don't know if I don't think he did it on purpose um, I think it was really a mispressing it was like a clump of wax gotten through without being pressed but it got labeled it was like wow because it was labeled on both sides and I don't even know if they would risk doing that on purpose you know because. <laughs> I just imagine if it hadn't gotten through, you know, you know, someone would, you know, go on, you know, record store day and, you know, maybe it was the, like the last copy and they were so excited and it was like, the the sleeve was weirdly fat. <laughs> <laughs> See, I would have been very sad because I probably wouldn't have been the lucky purchaser of that thing and then I would have paid a lot of money to get it or something. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But yeah, those, it's, it's hard to say. There's, it's hard to say. There's one big, you know, one item that just stands out amongst all the rest. It just depends on when you ask me, I guess. <laughs> I feel like we're leaving you out, Andrew. I'm sorry. No, it's okay. I'm not uh, just not much of a uh, collector, so I'm just listening. Okay. Sell me yeah. your records. <laughs> Somehow, a hobby, collecting things and obsessing on something, became a job. I, I don't quite know how that happened, but. I know that I was dedicated to collecting this stuff in my spare time, and then also probably while I was at work, I did it <laughs> when I had a re when I had a real job. Um, for some reason, I just felt it was important and that I needed to do it. And as, as as much as people told me, "Why do you spend your money on that?" or "Why do you constantly look for the same record but different just different pressings?" You know, why do you have to have it? I don't know why, but I just know that it has to be done. <laughs> it was a very strange feeling. Uh, so, uh, there you have it. <laughs> I, this, is, this might be more of a philosophical question here, but I mean, like, what is it, do you think, about Devo that, like, engenders such obsession? Because, I mean, like, I mean, like, you you know, I mean, you have, you and, and uh, Brian Applegate, Rich um, is, you know, one of the, you know, heads of uh, uh, Boogie Boy's Basement. Right. Which still lives. I, mm -hmm. I know exactly why. I know exactly, there was a few factors, but, um. I know exactly why Devo was the one the band for me is because it was it was almost like a trinity of of things. The first thing was um, being from Ohio. I felt this affinity, this uh, connection to that band because I was born in Stowe, right outside of Akron, um, and um, I uh, back then I was going to Catholic school. My mom put me in the Catholic school. My my two older siblings had into public school and for some reason I was born hyperactive child or something and so they thought putting me in a Catholic school would calm me down so they, <laughs> so they put me in a Catholic school and I was just bludgeoned with all this Catholic 
thought and uh, I was saying my prayers. I mean, I was a good Christian. I was saying my prayers every night, praying for people who I saw in the news who were hurt in accidents or whatever, and uh, really thinking this was the right thing to do. And I just was confused constantly by seeing nuns and, 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 and preacher, preachers being uh, hypocritical or not living up to what I thought Christians should be. So long story short, Devo was the band that I heard for the first time I heard a band speak about religion and about not if you you know don't believe that stuff it kind of makes sense that you don't you know, that's why it doesn't make sense because it doesn't make sense <laughs> so it kind of enlightened me and it kind of opened me up to a new perspective of oh, okay I don't have to believe that stuff I don't have to always worry that God is watching me and if I make a mistake he's going to be angry and you know all this stuff they throw at you when you're a kid so uh, I felt just freed by that and then also their design and their packaging and their artwork and their look and their their whole aesthetic was uh, extremely appealing to me because I was the kid that was in a Kiss. Kiss was my first love. So any band with a look or, or, a, or a thing that stood out from the others, I was totally into. So it was that package deal. It was a smart band that taught me how to think in different ways that kind of freed me from all these things I was living through in Ohio. Ohio damage, I call it. Mm. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and it just uh, made me a, a new person. And so they were the first band to do that for me. And it could have been, you know, the fix or cheap trick or somebody like that that first did that for me because I'm sure they have songs about uh, uh, not uh, having too much respect for um, religion in general. Uh, but yeah, it just happened to be Devo, I think, and then all these factors that they were from Ohio and they had this great aesthetic and design and it made me want to, that was one of the things that made me want to get different pressings of albums is to see how the design differed and how the, what decisions were made in different pressings and why and it's just interesting to me for some reason. I hope that answered the question. <laughs> yeah, no, it does. And I, I think there, there are just certain bands that uh, I know each of us, we all have our obsessions in, in this, in the show. And there's a certain bands, I think they all have like some sort of commonality where there's just, uh, they're not, they're doing something different. They have this distinct aesthetic as it were, um, and maybe lyrical, maybe visual. It may just, you know, like I said, we had, last week we had obsessive, they might be giants collector. And they have that same very distinct they they're very similar to Devo in that they have their their distinct sonic identity. So uh it's it's gotta be the, this this confluence of things that just takes people like us and turns us into mindless uh, consumption uh, machines for these uh these bands. And in a good way. Yeah. Well, yeah. And I always thought there was a purpose though to doing this. I always thought that since I had been and since my way of thinking was totally changed and and for for the better by you know God for the better, and I actually remember you know a few days after really getting into some Devo lyrics, feeling just better about things and and just uh, everything made more sense. And I didn't really think that my parents were the smartest people, and uh, you know, and, and there was and it made sense to me. Like I wasn't confused by why my parents didn't seem very smart. You know what I mean? Like at some point in in, in life, you when you're becoming an adult, I think you realize, oh, okay, elders and people who are older than me and, and policemen, they're not always smarter than me just because they're older than me. It doesn't, it doesn't work that way. And so people, people in those positions can be wrong and it confuses you when you're a kid. Like, why, why are they telling me something that doesn't make sense? <laughs> yeah. But then when you move past that, you know, you, you, uh, you have a new outlook. So I remember exactly, uh, I forget what you were talking about that I was replying to anyway. Well, it just, okay. Yeah, because I mean, it's like kind of funny because I mean, like, I mean, I like I'm, you know, a huge, huge, huge Devo fan also. I mean, not to the extent of you you guys, but I mean, it's like I, I just, you know, I, I do have, you know, a lot of, you know, Devo crap on my walls and, and whatnot. Right. 
And so I, I remember the point I was going to make. I'm sorry. I remember oh. the point I was going to make. It was because I felt it was important that I archive as much of this band's history as possible so that, you know, and I don't, I'm not even the kind of guy that cares about future generations or if the planet's going to survive. I really, you know, in most cases, I could give a fuck. But every now and then, I feel like, oh, yeah, I should do something for the children of the future. I should save this stuff, archive the band, this band's history. So in case any other kids like me are completely confused at the first part of their life, and then they discover this band and it opens things up for them, you know, they're going to want to know more. And so here's where they get that information. That's how I always thought of it in the back of my head. Like, it was important in that way for some reason. <laughs> And I'm yeah. not a big fan of kids, so I don't know why I care so much about the children in the future or future generations, but for some reason it makes sense. <laughs> <laughs> okay, sorry, I'm done talking now. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. Thank you. Yeah. This was this was great. Um, yeah. I just have one last question for you, if that's cool. Um, this is just me being a nerd and a, yeah. my I own like grave obsession. Um, now that you've gotten original Spud Color, is there any chance in hell that they're gonna re- that you got that they're gonna be remade for people like me who couldn't get a hold of them the first time around? Oh wait, can you repeat that? I just got an email from Jerry Casali that I had to read. Um, oh, <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I wish I could get timing from from Jerry Casali that I had to read. I, I, I yeah. interrupt podcast too. I mean, it's fucking Jerry. <laughs> yeah. Okay. <laughs> uh, Oh my. Like uh, one of the architects of like my way of thought. Yeah, I'm gonna read what what Jerry has to say. You know, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's like we're dealing with some things now, and I have to work through the weekend often, and so I have to always be ready to uh, work. <laughs> yeah, if we have to let you go, that's cool. But I just want to. No, no, now, now that you've got. Oh, okay, it's not an important thing. I just had to make sure it wasn't important. <laughs> yeah. Well, as I, I was asking, now that you've we've gotten original. Good, qual- good condition spud color. Is there any chance yeah. in hell that we'll ever see them reproduced for people yes. like me who couldn't get on the first? Yes. 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 Awesome. Yes, there is a chance. I've been working on it for a while now. With It just depends on how much it costs. If it's going to be much more expensive than getting energy domes made, then it's not going to make, unless we make it a limited edition thing and sell them for a hundred bucks each. You know, I don't know. But it might be cheaper than domes to get them made. I have no idea. I've never had to deal with something like that because it's not just a simple vacuum form like the dome. It's something that has to snap together. So um, it's a little trickier. It's got more detail involved and um, smaller parts. And one thing I did find out interesting from the guy who used to work with uh, Brent Scrivener is that the material that those are made of are the same exact material that uh, Ziploc baggies are made of. Oh, wow. Um, wow. Yeah, the same, same plastic, very flexible plastic. But every now and then fans come out and they um, are able to help us in great ways like that. And they don't ask for much in return. They just want to do it, which is... Amazing, and I guess that's why I, I do what I do for Devos because I just told them, "Look, I'm going to do this anyway. Why don't you just have me do it for you?" <laughs> <laughs> you know, so it's like it's great. Devo fans are great people. I can't tell you how many uh, wonderful people that I've met are now who are now lifelong friends just because they're Devo fans. Mm-hmm. I mean, Rich, is that kind of how we met too, or yeah, because I mean, I mean it's, you know, that it's because it's been for so long ago. I don't even really remember. It's just that, like, we've always known each other, and we've always been huge Evo fans, you know? Yeah, yeah. it was, uh, yeah, back in the live journal days. I don't even remember myself. Some kind of overlap, mm. but that's how it works. That's great. You know, I, fi- I find that um, I often wear Devo shirts more than I really want to. It's, it's not hard to do because I have so many of them, but it's just like, you know, every now and then I want to wear something else. But then I think to myself, you know, I'm going to be in airports all day today 
I wear a Devo shirt, there's much more of a chance that that Devo shirt will lead to something good for me. Like somebody will do me a favor, somebody will help me out in a situation because I have a Devo. It happens all the time. Like wearing a Devo shirt gets you places. <laughs> <laughs> I've, I've got one of the little Energy Dome stickers on my uh, state ID. And yeah. Yeah, it always gets a reaction. Yeah, Usually it's positive. Great. Usually, yeah, usually you find pe people who are Devo fans notice other people who are Devo fans and they <laughs> want to reach out and connect for some reason. And it, it's, it's just amazing. I, I proved it to Rachel, uh, my, my girlfriend. She uh, saw it happen so many times that she often, you know, reminds me, hey, you probably should wear a Devo shirt while we're going out with all these people because <laughs> it usually helps us out. <laughs> Sorry, I got off on a tangent again. Sorry. Oh, no. Not a problem. I mean, it is interesting, though. There, there is, like, sort of, like, that, you know, Devo community that I don't know if you really get with other bands. Like, I mean, even, like, with, like, because, I mean, like, I have, like, a ton of, like, Devo shirts. I have a ton of They Might Be Giant shirts. And it seems like with the They Might Be Giant shirts, you get, like, oh, hey, TMBG, awesome. But, like, Devo seems to be, well, you either get the, you know, are they still around or whip it, you know? But then you also get, like, the dudes who are, like, you know, really, you know, who they connected with and they're just like, yes, Devo, they, they're important. <laughs> Sometimes it's really surprising. Sometimes it's really surprising because uh, the people that come up that you would not expect, like if you just saw them and weren't talking to them, you would never expect them to be a hardcore Devo fan. Case in point was when Devo played South Carolina a few years ago. Um, I want to say it was 2006 or five or something like that. Um, anyway, they played this gig in South Carolina. It was an outdoor festival. It was, very small, weird, uh, kind of a t weird crowd. And I'm walking through the crowd and this guy with a, a really dirty old sleeves torn off uh, jean jacket with patches, biker patches all over it and, you know, dirty jeans and old fucked up boots and big old gnarly mustache that had gray in it and all shriveled up, you know, face all tan and tattoos all over his arm. And he pulls up his sleeve and has a Devo tattoo that's been there 30 years, it looked like, on his shoulder. And I was just blown away like, Wow, <laughs> like this guy's hardcore. He's like hardcore biker, Southern South Carolina, born and bred. But then he's got a Devo tattoo on the shoulder, and I just thought, man, that's that's great. Every now and then, you, you meet some really interesting Devo fans <laughs> that blow all the stereotypes, you know, out of the water. There's a guy in uh, Australia that has a full arm of, of Devo tattoos, and the story is is that he started getting them with the first album. He got the first album cover, then he got the second album cover graphics, then the third, and as it went on, he just filled his whole arm with their albums. And when they come back later this year to Australia, he's going to get something for everybody out in tattoo. Awesome. To, to finish it out. Yeah, it's amazing tattoo, armful of tattoos. If you go to uh, Diva Obsessa, Chosen Mutations Gallery, you'll find it there somewhere. Sweet. Yeah, that's basi basically the one, like, I don't have any tattoos, but, like, that is, like, the one thing I've always thought of. And I, <laughs> I, I, I go, like, between much, you know, more like likely I'm going to get to kind of going, oh, I don't know, I'm kind of a wuss. But it's the uh, the the one of the the pieces of Devo iconography that I absolutely love is the um, the duty now for the future symbol the uh, the oh, man with the beaker and the atom science boy science boy yes that's what Jerry calls it yeah yeah I just love that piece of iconography I mean I don't know you know where they found it because I know he shows up in uh, Boogie Boy is my struggle but the story is is that that was taken from a um, Kent State newsletter the science club newsletter and at some point they actually had to pay the school for that logo i mean they bought it off the school eventually when they started using it a lot um so yeah that was from an old kent state newsletter is i think what they told me 
Cool. Yeah. Sweet. So some yeah. student, student designed that for the class, had no idea it would <laughs> eventually be used for a, uh, you know, a deviant rock band. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I just love that. that It's such a great, powerful image to me. And it's like, that's the one thing. It's like, I always like, you know, I, I'd probably end up going with it on like my bicep or something, but I always like thought about doing, you know, the whole like, you know, the Rollins, you know, instead of the sun and search and destroy, you know, get like, you know, the science boy with like duty now for the future across the top. And yeah, yeah, yeah. it's a popular tattoo. A lot, of, a lot of science boys on arms out there. Yeah. But yeah, if anyone does want to steal my my Rollins science boy tattoo idea, it's totally <laughs> yours because I would love to see that. <laughs> it's really interesting because I think the the collection of tattoos on the website has made people who are getting Devo tattoos think harder about, because I think most people want to get something that nobody else has, so they, they're coming up with the most bizarre ideas, and it's uh, it's amazing to see. Uh, yeah, and then there's people that go with the classics, man, the Duty Now Science Boy logo, or the Dome, or whatever, but some people try to come up with these really crafty Devo tattoos. It's interesting. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm surprised, because like, every, every so often there's like a few turkey monkeys out there. Yeah. Brian Applegate has the first turkey monkey I ever saw. Um, probably the first turkey monkey tattoo in existence, I would think. Um, and it's really well done. It's a very well done, one color, very detailed turkey monkey. Yeah, I always found that interesting of getting the turkey monkey because it is a kind of a horrifying image. Oh, very. It's the monkey face from, uh, you know, when they were shooting monkeys into space. Uh, yeah. Terrified yeah. monkey and then the, the packaging of a turkey tie tool thing. You know, like a turkey, uh, where you tie the turkey up after you cook it. That's the packaging to one of those. Or, or, or it's the metal thing that fits in the turkey or something. It's some turkey cooking product that they took the packaging from. Mm -hmm. And just slapped the monkey head right on it. <laughs> yeah. And, and I mean, like, even even when it's, like, uh, in, shows up in the um, Adventures of the Smart Patrol game, and he's, like, you know, flying and screaming at you. <laughs> Yeah, that looked horrible. I love that. It looked, it looked really hideous and scary. I liked when they did that with the turkey monkey. Yeah. Especially, too, because, like, wouldn't it, he kind of pop up at random times in the game? Like, if you went to the wrong place in the wrong hour, I you'd get turkey monkeyed or something? I don't think I ever played the game. Cause I, I tried, be, and it, it honestly isn't, it's not really a very good game. No, no, I heard it. Of course it wasn't. Um it was, it was, you know, there was a bunch more that would have, should have gone into that game, and it was all taken out. You know, it's like typical stuff that happens to Devo all the time. Yeah. Um, but I, I was such not a fan of video games that I didn't ever want to play it. I just wanted to look at all the content. So I think at some point somebody sent me or I dug into the CD and just took all the content off, all the images, all the videos, and just watched everything and read everything, and that was it. I never played the game. <laughs> that's, honestly, that's probably the more enjoyable route. Yeah, yeah. I just <laughs> wanted to see it because I was such a fan and I was such an archivist in, in, in my head that I had to just see, like, oh, okay, what's out there? What haven't I seen? I, I need to dig into this thing. I was really disappointed they didn't get the real General Boy to play the role. I, I know, I know. That was so weird. I like When I saw that, I was like, and they had, like, General Boy, and I'm like, that's not general boy. <laughs> there had to be logistical or, or some real reasons that they didn't do it. I just, I don't think they didn't want to get him. I think it was probably just, he wasn't available at the right time or they didn't have money to fly him out or who knows what it was. But, uh, but yeah, I think if the, the real general boy would have been in it, maybe it would have done well. <laughs> <laughs> that was the problem. Nah, the problems are way bigger than the general. Yes. <laughs> okay. I know, but I was just saying we, we should probably wrap this up. We've been Devo geeking for too long. <laughs> yeah, yeah and like, we don't want to we don't want to lose everyone. We don't want to especially lose one of our co-hosts. <laughs> Hello. Uh, yeah. 
Let's talk about prog so. rock. <laughs> Don't even get me started. Uh, talk about uh, grindcore. Anybody know anything about grindcore? Black metal? Death metal? Uh, I do have, uh, do have a couple anal cunt albums. Oh, beautiful. I, I, I also like that there's, there's a band called Sockeye that I had a couple of things from, uh, and they, they were apparently the, the founders of Ohio Tardcore. Yeah, they're good, good friends of mine. I've known them for many years, and I was in a, some bands with those guys, um, Crapper Keeper and Banana Twins and all the stuff on Wheelchair Full of Old Men. Yeah, all those guys, all those guys are still real weirdos. They have kids. Married. I think uh, the singer of Sakai is a school teacher. He's still got really retarded tattoos all over his body that he did himself, and uh, um, they still do music like that. That's awesome. Because yeah, I remember like I don't even know how or where I found it, but I found like an MP3 of "Butt Fuck Your Own Face." Yeah, and, yes. And I was just like, yeah, your face has a really nice pussy. Your face has really great titties. Yeah. <laughs> and I just like remember like playing that over and over and be like, this is like. The greatest, most <laughs> fucking stupid thing in the world. This is yeah. awesome. And, and it's certainly polarizing because I've never had a girlfriend that really liked that stuff <laughs> as much as the one that I have now. Rachel loves that stuff. And as soon as I played it for her, she was instantly interested in anything those guys did. And so we, we just played it all. She loves it. She memorizes the lyrics. It's amazing. <laughs> Usually girlfriends would protest when we sat around and recorded stuff like that, but <laughs> Rachel digs it. <laughs> well, thanks for having me on this thing. I'm sorry. I don't know if I played the game correctly, but um, it was fun. You're good by me. Yeah, yeah. We'll send you your uh, life supply of uh, rice and the San Francisco treat, you know, here in a little bit. and <laughs> Or your wonderful California weed. <laughs> oh, you're not in California. Are you no, I'm, in, I'm in Seattle. Wait, so who's, where's Andrew? I'm in Connecticut. Connecticut, and where's Richard? Yeah. Philadelphia. Okay, Philadelphia. I thought one of you was California. Um, yeah, uh, yeah. Thanks again, and uh, play as much Hillary as you can. Thank you. Like I guess I got to pass this along to my my DJ friend. Thank you so awesome. much. Uh, where can we find you online besides DevoObsesso.com, If anything, oh, uh, I mean, in like Facebook or Twitter. What are you, what are you talking about? Websites. Oh, uh, threw- well. Uh, no, I mean, there's Thor Central, there's IThrewUp.com, there's DrawDickOnIt.com. Um, uh, I do Anti-Scenes website, <laughs> Anti-Scene.com. Some real good uh, Southern punk there from 25 years ago. Uh, uh, yeah, just DevoObsesso.com is the main thing there, I guess. And IThrewUp.com is pretty funny. <laughs> yeah, so i got to order some more stickers from you or, or something. Anyway, I think right. I ran out. I'll get you some. Are you coming to any of the Devo shows, any of you guys? Uh, you're not coming up in my neck of the woods, and I'm getting ready to move to New York soon. So, oh, no yeah, I, yeah, I don't think you're uh, coming up uh, up my my way pretty soon, but I like every time you guys come to Seattle, I, I've actually like seen you, and I've been all like, oh my god, that's Pilmer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, you, you've heard me around. You've heard me around Cleveland at Devotional 2008. Oh, okay. Yeah. All right, great. Well, if you guys are ever at a show, let me know in advance. I'll get you passes if I can or something. Cool. Yeah. Cool. All right. Well, uh, let me know if I could help you again with something like this, and it was fun. Tell me. Let me know when it's done. It'll go up on Monday, uh, crushonradio.com. And, yeah, also, you know, if, if anyone out there listens to us, you know, put, put, give us a review on iTunes, five stars if you can. I'm Rich. You can find me on sandspoint.com, sandspoint on Twitter, wantabreathmint.com is my other site. And uh, how about you guys?
I'm at uh, I'm Matt, and I'm at kittysneezes.com, K-I-T-T-Y-S-N-E-E-Z-E-S, and also uh, Kitty Sneezes on Twitter and Tumblr, and I guess that's it. So, yeah. And I'm Andrew. You guys can find me at andrewmarvin.net and at andrewmarvin on Twitter. Thanks again. This was fun. This was Thanks, fun. Thanks, Michael. Yeah, man. Yeah.